Welcome to the first episode of Season 1 of Where to Begin With, a podcast which picks a sub-genre of horror cinema and asks the simple question, if I want to get into it, where do I begin with it? On Season 1, we are looking at Jallo, and hopefully you've checked out our introductory episode which dropped a week ago. Simply, this season will run for the entire year of 2020, covering 10 movies that I think are essential viewing if you want to get into the subgenre known as Jallo. I explained on that introductory episode what Jallo is, and kind of its importance and how it's receiving a bit of a renaissance at the moment. What we'll do on each episode is pick one movie within the Jallo subgenre and sit down and not only do a quick recap of what's happening in the movie, but we'll touch on some of the points that the movie puts forward and where it sits within our wider understanding of the subgenre. The plan is at the end of this season, which will finish in December 2020, you will have 10 movies in your collection knowledge of what Jallo is and will be able to know what you like in the subgenre or what you don't like in the subgenre and hopefully pick out more titles beyond season one to sit down and watch and enjoy. Now each season will tackle something different so season two which is coming in 2021 will pick something completely different than Jallo's so there'll be no murder mystery at all. What we might do is pick a director or a another specific style of genre filmmaking and kind of focus down on that. We could even pick territories as well. So I'm not saying that we wouldn't maybe do something like South Korean cinema somewhere down the line in a future season if that was something that you guys wanted to partake in. Now the importance of this show is the interactivity that it is going to foster between me, the host, and you guys out there as well. For those long-term listeners, you will know that my name is Duncan McLeish and I host a podcast called... The Podcast Under The Stairs. That podcast has been going for many years now, seven years this year since it started, and I do a myriad of other shows on this Teapots Collective feed. But I have always had, for as far as I've been podcasting, this enduring passion for European horror cinema in particular, but when we're slicing down into the nitty gritty, specifically in Jallo. Jallo is something that I kind of came to slightly later in life, kind of early 20s, and the more I have got to know of it, the more movies I've seen within the subgenre, the more it has endeared itself to my heart. So much so that I would say that of all the subgenres out there, Jallo might be my favourite, which is interesting considering how much scope I put on things like, you know, consistent narrative and great acting and, you know, beautiful cinematography. Jallos tend to have one of those three and very rarely will it have all three of those three. And the directors whose names are attached to them can be from the, you know, superstars of Dario Argento right down to the kind of forgotten master, you know, master class performers like Aldo Lado who construct these lovely little capsules of, of European kind of mystery cinema that never really found their way to a mainstream audience. So we're going to be looking at a huge birth of all these movies during this season. Now what I decided to do on this show, because it's more a condensed, packed 
thing where we're just going to get right into the movies and, and kind of just start talking about them straight away without much in the way of waffle at the start. What I decided to do was start with the obvious first entry. Anyone that's creating any sort of list to do with Jallo, specifically with a where is the linchpin to start off a journey into this subgenre, usually picks this movie and is for good reason. Some people may go down the road of picking a Bava title, or maybe even one of those kind of earlier lensy ones or, or, or Martino as a way to get into it. But I've always been of the belief that the best person to put forward the idea of what Giallo actually is and how it operates and our best understanding as film fans is to look at Dario Argento and the movie that really sets out his template that he has replicated God knows how many times since and inspired a whole generation of filmmakers in his debut entry, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Now at the end of this episode, we are going to play some comments from you guys, the listeners. I didn't give you a lot of time, but this is something we're going to be doing at the end of every episode. We're going to let you make comment on the movie we reviewed from the episode before. So I said that if anyone wanted to see anything as a kind of precursor to that conversation, they could submit it in and I would put it in at the end of this episode. Only one person got in touch with me, which is understandable. I didn't give you a lot of time to source the movie, sit down, watch it and get your thoughts together. But our good buddy Richard Glenn Smith from Hello, This Is A Doom Show, which is a podcast that looks almost exclusively at kind of European kind of genre cinema, specifically things like Jallo, sent in some audio content which we're going to play at the end of the show. However, your homework for the next episode, which will be dropping in one month's time, is to let me know what you thought of Bird with the Crystal Plumage. So if you've never seen it before, and you're sitting down for the first time off the back of our conversation here, or alternatively, if you have seen it before, but you're having a little return visit to take part in this episode, what I'd ask you to do is jot down your thoughts or record an audio comment of some description and send it into tputzcollective at gmail.com. Couldn't be any easier, tputzcollective at gmail.com. Send it through and we'll play it at the end of episode number two. Right, let's get into this. It's where to begin with Jallo, episode number one, and we're going to what is considered the archetype, the template for how the subgenre itself is constructed. It is, of course, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. You're about to hear the international trailer for the movie, and when we return, we're going to break down the plot and talk about some of the themes and important points that will shape our journey through the rest of 2020. So we'll be right back to discuss Bird with the Crystal Plumage right after the trailer. Tell me about it, eh? What's that? What happened? I want to know everything you saw and heard. Everything. Monica. Come on now, come on. Now. Take go of me! And I beg you, Ranieri. She's my wife. 
Monica, speak to me. What happened? He's untying her. Monica. Oh. Dear, who did? Who? and you're making him risk his life. Somebody's already tried to kill him once. Julia. And what makes you so sure they won't try again? You're blackmailing him. Look out behind! Crystal Plumage came out in 1970, made its way to the UK in 1971 the following year and was written and directed by Dario Argento who prior to this movie was kind of involved in the, the movie industry, you know, did a bit of script writing on some famous projects but he was also a reviewer of movies so he, he wrote a critique of movies as well which is kind of how he's involved with the business. Now, his dad and his brother would also be involved with the business as producers and help produce quite a lot of his work. So it became a bit of a family thing to the Argentos, which has carried on through not only his relationship with Daria Nicolodi, but their kids as well, who went on to star in movies, not only directed by Daria Argento, but other directors as well. So the movie stars uh, Tony Mustaine, Susie Kendall... Enrico Mari Salnero, Eva Renzi, Umberto Rajo, Renato Romano, Giuseppe Castellano, Mario Ardoff, Pino Patti, and Guldo De Marco. The movie was famously scored by the phenomenal talent that is Ennio Morricone. So when you are starting at the beginning of your career by dropping a little bit of something fresh and new to an audience out there and you are doing a murder mystery which is basically going to change the way people look at murder mysteries in your country and you have maybe the greatest composer of his day, of his generation and Ennio Morricone scoring your movie, you are off to a great start. On top of that as well, you have a phenomenal director of photography working with you here in Vittorio Storaro. This guy here not only works on Bird with the Crystal Plumage, but the following year would work on a phenomenal Jalo movie called The Fifth Chord, which we may or may not touch upon 
in this series. I'm not going to say anymore because I don't want to give too much of my hand away. But this guy, you know, would work on that and the, I mean, to say that the cinematography is phenomenal is an, is an understatement. But he also worked on movies like Lady Hawk and The Last Emperor um, and, you know, would, would carry on with a fairly prolific career, to be honest with you, and he's still working to this day. The last couple of movies he's worked on have been almost exclusively with Woody Allen, and he's kind of found his niche there, but the stuff is, you know, absolutely incredible, to say the least. So, you've got that in the background, you've got, a, a, a you know, a tremendous cinematographer working with you. You have a phenomenal, you know, um, a phenomenal man scoring your movie as well. I mean, this guy worked on Apocalypse Now. That's to put things into perspective. This guy's eye is behind Apocalypse Now. You know, and I think that speaks volumes. He's won many, many Oscars. And, you know, I think at this stage now, is considered maybe one of the best in the business. So you have all these things coming together. It's one of the reasons the movie, I think, made such an impact is that you have you have credible names attached to the project of this director no one knows anything about. The movie itself follows what will be a template for pretty much um, every Argento Jallo moving forward and pretty much a template for the majority of the movies that you're going to sit down and watch specifically in the first three to four years post Bird with the Crystal Plumage. It had a huge impact and like many studios do, when they see something kind of rocket into success, they want to replicate it. So that's kind of what they do here. Um, what would happen is, for the most part, you would get a, a character who's usually not um, of, of kind of Italian descent. It's usually someone on vacation or visiting the city. Um, either Rome or one of the other big cities, and they will see uh, a crime happening, usually a murder, or something leading to a murder, or events just before a murder. In the case of this one, you've got Tony Mustaine playing Sam, who is an American writer. He's having a bit of vacay time with his girlfriend, Susie Kendall, and they are in Rome. He's kind of struggling. He's got the old Stephen King syndrome here, where he is like struggling with a bit of writer's block, and he's out and about trying to get some semblance of inspiration, and he walks past a, a kind of art gallery, and he observes through this beautiful large pane glass window entranceway, um, a woman being essentially attacked by someone in a raincoat wearing black gloves, which is the, the kind of hallmark of the Jallo killer set out by Mario Bava way, way back and um, you know things like Blood and Black Lace, way back in those days, maybe even prior to that as well. That's the the, the kind of the Italian take on the the Jello killer. And you usually see their gloved hands when they're killing people. Um, Argento famously in these movies, and we'll touch on this when we deal with Argento further in the series. Usually would wear the gloves that you would see killing people, which I think speaks volumes about the mentality of that man sometimes. But, yeah, um, Sam sees this, he tries to rescue the woman, he gets trapped between two of the glass doors uh, and is left in a position that he can only really watch the, the, the kind of villain escape. 
Now, in the case of this one, the woman who's being attacked doesn't actually die, which is maybe a slight twist on where Argento would go with future movies. Generally, at the start of his movies, someone would die. Um, but back at the beginning here, we have a survivor, and it's kind of key to where the movie kind of ends up at the end. So, yeah, Sam is kind of drawn into the, the police investigation, kind of unwillingly to a certain extent, but because he's not got much on and because of his inquisitive mind, he finds himself being more entangled as the movie goes along. Also, you have the police removing his passport, making sure he can't actually leave the country at all, which adds to that our, our kind of our protagonist has to be part of things because he can't leave the country. And the, the murderer is still on the loose and the police start to think this might be connected to a series of serial killing that's happening across the city and that Sam might be the person, the witness, that they've been looking for to crack the case. Now with all these jallos, that's kind of the, the entry level to the viewer. What's usually happening behind the scenes is that our protagonist has seen something, a clue, Something's not quite right with the, the image they saw of the crime or the murder. And they will spend pretty much the entire movie getting involved with the case, trying to work out what that missing piece is. Kind of safe in the knowledge that if they work out what that missing piece is, then they will crack the case overall. And that is pretty much rife through all um, of our gentlest jally. But to be honest, most of the jally out there, just in general, there's always one missing Block. You've got to think about it this way. These movies are inspired by kind of pulpy sort of crime novels. Think Agatha Christie. It's that sort of level. Kind of think about what Poirot would do if he was solving a case. There's always that one thing that if they get that one clue, it cracks the case wide open for them. I mean, Sam is clearly aware that there's something not quite right. And he's going to team up with um, Inspector Morsini who is kind of heading up this investigation. He himself is kind of working the case, interviewing some people, and, you know, specifically tracks down that there was a murdered prostitute um, who had worked at a shop, uh, and in this shop, when they're there, uh, they find that the last thing that she actually sold on the day of her death was this painting, a specific painting. And in the painting, it has a, it's like a, a raincoat wearing man who appears to be um, a murder on a woman. And it's, it's, a, it's a bleak painting. You know, it's like a fairly kind of bleak background landscape with this man in the raincoat murdering a woman. So they think if they can track this down, maybe there's an importance to the picture and they can work it out. Um, but that kind of really leads to a dead end. And as they're working their way through things here, um, you find that Sam's girlfriend, who he's been you know, on, on holiday with or vacation with, Julia, is attacked by the same black love killer. Uh, Sam manages to arrive kind of just in time and once again, the killer escapes. So, you know, like the, this killer is now fully aware of who Sam is, knows who his girlfriend is. So there's a race against the clock here for Sam to solve the crime before the killer essentially kills everyone near and dear to him and maybe even him himself. 
the movie moves on, continues on with uh, Sam now receiving like uh, these phone calls, which are basically weird kind of noises um, that sound like a bird in the background, which is kind of where we're linking back in with the name. And we are we are treated to the reveal because this is a murder mystery. It has to be exotic that it's um, that. A, a bird from Siberia, which is known as the bird with the crystal plumage. Now, it's worth saying that these birds don't exist in real life. So this is purely made up for the, the movie itself, but it's this little detail that adds a little bit of exotic flavour to it. And obviously, another clue. So they can now find that this is a fairly rare breed of bird, and they can track it down, and they find that there's one kept in um, one of the zoos in Rome, and they think that if they can track down this, they will be able to work out who the killer is. So while they're doing all this, though, our killer is, you know, is in the background doing bits and bobs, you know, t- trying to kill off people. And he manages to work his way to killing off this guy called Alberto, um, who drops off the like the top of a building and a great scene in this movie because all these drops in these movies look entirely fake and dies but he doesn't die straight away he manages to confess uh, to the murders and he says that he you know he loves his wife Alberto is married to the the woman who survived the original attack Monica Ranabelli so played by Eva Renzi so she survived the original attack back at the art gallery and her husband is the one who confesses to the murder. So we all think, case closed, you know, murder mystery solved. Book him, Dano, although this guy's dead so he can't be booked. But we find out, as in most of these movies, there's one more a twist to go. And what we actually find out that... <laughs> um, that you know Monica and Julia are not there and Sam is trying to find them and he bumps into a friend of his called Carlo who's been in the background um and Carlo's dead you know he's he, he's been butchered essentially and his girlfriend Julia's you know she's tied up and she also has been attacked so by a process of elimination we work out that the killer is actually Monica Ranelli. So she is the, the woman who was attacked originally and then all the pieces start to fit together. So Sam actually has misinterpreted what he saw at the beginning. What he thought was essentially Monica being attacked was rather Monica attacking her husband and it was her husband who was wearing the raincoat. So this is an inverse of what audiences would have expected at the time. And then the movie moves to its usual climax in most of these. There's always a chase at the end and Monica herself ultimately uh, is apprehended. Sometimes the killers die. Argento, as he moves along, gets more vicious towards his killers. Um, but in the case of this one, she she is she's captured and uh, she's taken to a psychiatric hospital. And in the final scenes of the movie, we get a bit of an explanation as to what has triggered this. This is also very important in the Jalo movie. The 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 kind of protracted explanation of what made the killer kill. Now, the reason we get a lot of this is a lot of these movies not only 
are coming from those kind of pulpy 50s kind of noirish sort of novels but they're also coming off the back of Hitchcock and Psycho is a huge influence in a lot of these movies so you have to get that the psychiatrist explains the killer's motivation at the end of the movie what you find out is that um, Monica herself was actually attacked some 10 or so years before and when she she was attacked by someone wearing the kind of coat and all the rest and when she went into the shop that the prostitute worked in and saw the picture of the man wearing the coat trying to kill the, the girl, um, it, you know, essentially triggered her memory and, you know, you, you get this, you know, she, she is driven mad, her husband is driven mad and, um, you know, I, 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 they, you know, there's a kind of a meeting of the minds, so to speak, at the end of the movie and then at the end, Sam and Julia are allowed to leave the country uh, very much safe in the knowledge that they have solved the crime. And that's kind of the the kind of the working premise of Bird with the Crystal Plumage. But there's a lot going on here that we need to discuss when it comes to how you approach a movie like this. Now, there's some things we have to acknowledge up front. Regardless how well this movie is shot, how great the score is, and how twisting and weaving the mystery is most giallo movies don't have a what would be classed as fully satisfactory ending or conclusion to them most of them end in a way where you're like well that feels like a way to end a movie and it's not always about the reveal at the end it's about the journey to get to it's a mystery that kind of weaves through the killers are sometimes people that you would never expect people that you would totally expect are characters you've barely seen in the movie. It's kind of like Scooby-Doo Syndrome, where it's like, oh, it's a lightkeeper that you saw right at the beginning of the movie that would have got away with it too if it hadn't been for you pesky kids and your meddling dog. It's that sort of idea. This one is a rare occasion where, actually, for the most part, the, the story itself kind of makes sense and the reason behind that is it's, it's based on a previous work it's based on the screaming mimi which came out the year before i want to say um which was also a book and so as a result of that it kind of feels like the adaptation works very much within a, a better narrative structure and granted argento is adapting it for his own purposes as well so he's putting a bit of what you will see in a lot of his movies the cinematography is also key. Argento plays with a lot of really interesting tracking shots, great setups. He's a great eye for detail, a true artist when it comes to how the composition of a shot is going to be placed. Lighting is also a key. Um, it's not as prevalent in The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, although it is used to great effect, specifically shadows. I mean, the murder that starts at the beginning of this movie, or attempted murder that starts at the beginning of this movie, is shot in a bright white, clean, bright room with glass everywhere, which is against the grain of how killers usually kill suspects in movies. It's usually in a dark alley or a darkened room that you can't make much detail in. Our general goes against the grain with this one by really portraying this bright image on the screen. Another thing that we have to take into account when examining Jallo movies is specifically the way that they're shot. And a lot of Italian cinema from this time is shot with no audio at all and then the audio is put in post the movie. So you can have actors from different parts of the world, American actors, English actors, German actors and Italian actors all kind of speaking uh, their, their own tongue, not really you know, the, the same the same lines in the same language. And then it's all overdubbed in post. 
So either all overdubbed, sometimes by completely different actors in Italian and English, etc. Moving forward, and the movies themselves, some of them the dubbing is pretty fucking amazing and then other ones they're just downright awful and it doesn't sync up and it doesn't quite mash and if that is something that would genuinely put you off a movie then Bird with a Crystal Plumage is not one of the worst offenders but as we move through this series you're going to find more that you have less and less time for when watching and some of the the issues in them become overtly egregious and I know some people that just cannot get into the subgenre because the dubbing infuriates them to, to a, a kind of fever point. But with the Crystal Plumage, it's, it's surprisingly well done. The use of musical motifs as well is something that is used in all giallos. And if you have a maestro behind the scenes like Ennio Morricone, the score that you get, the, the themes that play through, work wonders with what you're going to see on the screen. It's a marriage that works so well with Italian genre cinema is the, the collaboration between the composer and the filmmaker and you get some of the greatest scores of all time come out in this four-year period post The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. So it's, it's something to take into account as well. There's usually a bottle of GMB somewhere in the background of these movies and the killer usually has a preferred weapon, usually a stabby one or a slicey one because it's up close personal and also there's that idea of the penetration, that kind of sexual deviancy that also kind of uh, is transgressive in the movie themselves. So you have that kind of twisting in the background which I also think makes for a, a pretty incredible watch as well. So you've got those aspects to take into account. So this is, like I said at the start here, Argento's first movie uh, directing and it wasn't exactly the greatest time for everyone involved. Um, Argento really found issue working to an extent with Tony Mustaine who had this kind of reputation as being a fairly intense actor, you know, really throw himself into the part and... Uh, part of that was basically querying every decision for the character's motivation with Argento. Uh, the the legends would say that he would very regularly show up at like unsociable hours, like the wee wee hours of the morning, to Argento's apartment and query like, why is my character doing this and why would he be doing this? And um, and Argento kind of started to lose uh, a lot of of patience with him when doing this. So. The other things that we need to kind of take into account uh, as well when looking at this is that this is at a time where people don't necessarily think that this is going to take off. You know, this isn't going to necessarily become a huge thing. So people were cautious when, you know, being involved with this project. Our killer in this movie, played by Eva Renzi, genuinely thought that her participation in the movie would be the end of her career and weirdly enough she's brilliant in this movie actually especially when she's revealed that the killer at the end there's a duality to the way the character is is kind of is revealed which I think is is fucking brilliant um, and, and shows the, the versatility and, and her abilities for sure also at the same time you have 
Argento kind of set the template for the camera has to be everywhere. It has to be the eyes of the killer. It has to be in weird angles of the room. If someone gets chucked out a window, that camera has to be chucked out the window, which is what they do when Alberto dies. They actually drop the camera <laughs> out six stories to get that weird and beautiful, wonderful shot that they bring in there as well. So I think there's a lot of that where, you know, he's kind of setting the the idea or the, the almost the benchmark of what we should be expecting from now on and what we get after this is some of the most beautiful movies you'll ever seen with some really daring camera angles and you know cinematography choices what's even more fascinating about that is every time Argento comes back to do this he kind of outdoes what everyone else is doing he kind of sets a new level of how did he do that and I think that's kind of to his credit and also one of the enduring legacies that that people heralded him as this true master of horror and it's, it's evident when you see his work on the screen, for sure. This is the movie that kicks off the boom. The boom that is kind of recognised as lasting up to about 74. So you get four solid years of intense Jallo production and this is the one that kind of sets it all off. And it's not because it's the best, because it's not the best, and it's not because Argento was doing things that no one had ever done before. Mostly it came down to the fact that it had huge international success. A lot of directors had tried from this part of the world and not cracked the international audience, specifically the American audience. Mario Bava had been making giallos up until and beyond 1970. But none of them had landed with the American audience that Bird with the Crystal Plumage did, that Dario Argento managed to tap into. And after that, you get like two in close succession kind of follow-ups to this movie, which would be commonly known as the, the Animal Trilogy. Starting with the Bird with the Crystal Plumage, moving into Cat and Nine Tails, and finishing with Four Flies on Grey Veil. But three completely different takes on the Argento template. And in close proximity to this movie coming out, you start seeing a ton of Giallo coming out very, very close in the background. Some of them just directly copying what Argento does, and some of them very quickly starting to put their own stamp, which other directors would then take and move on with. Uh, they become a very international feeling subgenre. At times, we start to see kind of paranormal things enter in, to it in the, in the kind of later run of, of Jally. So as we work through this series, we're going to cover quite a few of the different styles that work through. It's a great way to get into it though. It is a really cool little murder mystery. It doesn't really do anything that Argento would primarily be known for later on. It's nowhere near as violent as something like Deep Red or Tenebrae. Um, moving forward and at the same time it's not as wacky and gonzo as a movie like Four Flies on Grey Velvet or even something along the lines of Phenomena. This is a very kind of stripped back, very simplistic, straight down the line murder mystery and it's the flair, attention to detail and all the things to do with the cinematography that we spoke about and the score by Ennio Morricone that really make it stand out. It's a great place to start if you're wanting to get into Jallo, and I cannot recommend The Bird with the Crystal Plumage enough. So here's your homework. I've talked about the movie, I went into detail, I've mentioned some of the things you should look out for. The next thing for you to do is go and watch the movie. Now we'd already given you a week 
to make comment. And to be honest, that wasn't long enough. And I'm looking forward to playing Richard's clip at the end of this episode. But you now have a month to get down and get dirty with some Bird with a Crystal Plumage. So go away, check out the Bird with a Crystal Plumage. Wherever you can get your hands on it, watch that movie. And I want you to return with your feelings on the movie. Did you like it? Did you not like it? What stood out to you? Um, good or bad? And I need you to get them into me no later, ladies and gents, than the 12th of April. So that's Sunday, the 12th of April. Send me an email or a little audio clip. Let me know what you made of the bird with the crystal plumage. The episode itself will come out the following week. Um with your comments and stuff and movie number two that we will be covering and we're going back to basics with it as well it's the one that's quite widely regarded as the first proper full-on color giallo movie and to me giallo goes hand in hand with color there are some entries that are in black and white and this director himself did a few of them but it's the use of color and the use of scope and the vividness of it that really makes a giallo, in my opinion, a giallo. So, episode number two, coming in April, we're going to be looking at Blood and Black Lace by the maestro, the godfather of all giallo, a little man called Mario Bava. I hope you will join me then for that, and I hope you've enjoyed this first episode of Where to Begin with Giallo. As always, I would say, please check out the other shows on the Tea Putts Collective, Along with this show dropping on this feed, you get shows like Doing the Nasty, which looks exclusively at video nasties in cinema. You also get a little bit of Opera Omnia, which looks exclusively at director's filmography. This first season, we are looking at Ben Wheatley, and I'm joined with guest Mr. Watson to do that. The next episode that will be coming out, we'll be looking at Sightseers, the third one in that filmography. You also get Chronicle, which is a kind of short-form review podcast that looks exclusively at European cinema. This season, we are looking at folk horror, and it returns for Chapter 2, looking at the next three movies and our folk horror discussion in April. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Thank you for joining me on Where to Begin With, this season looking at Jallo Cinema. I'm going to take my leave of you just now, ladies and gents, but we're going to listen to your comments right now. This one coming in from our good friend, Richard Glenn Smith. Please go and check out his podcast. It is one of my all-time faves. It's Hello, This is a Doom Show, and it is available on Legion Podcast Network. I will speak to you all in one month's time. Greetings to Duncan, and greetings to his lovely listeners. This is Richard of Hello, This is the Doomed Show, calling in because I have a thing I'm a giallo enthusiast. I'm stricken with the giallo bug. First off, I wanted to say how awesome your introductory episode was for this series. Uh, you covered all the major points of the genre. I loved it, loved it, loved it. And of course, I had to call in and talk about Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Dario Argento with his directorial debut. <sighs> Man. He came out of the gate like a beast that swings his fists in the boxing ring like those wrestlers do on the WWF. And uh, he changed the genre. The success of this film completely steered the giallo genre. People were copying his frickin' tone. 
They were copying his style. They were even copying the music of good old Ennio Morricone. They would steal the animal titles. We had lots of animal title giallo for no reason. It was great. The genre was already going at this point, and, you know, there were other films around the same time that had some of these similar things, but Argento just packed them in to this one film, and it could not be stopped. It was such a huge juggernaut at the box office, so, man, he did great. And for me personally, I love the killer in this movie. Once the killer is revealed, and the killer is just jibber-jabbering away, it's just beautiful. I can't get enough of it. Before I even started playing your episode, I wrote down 10 films for folks to look at for this genre. My Dear Killer, The Fifth Chord, Seven Bloodstained Orchids, The Red Queen Kills Seven Times, The Girl Who Knew Too Much, Bay of Blood, Tenebre, The Case of the Scorpion's Tail, and The Bloodstained Shadow. And also, one more from, not Italy, but from Spain called The House That Screamed. I like to include a little Spanish flavor in this list because there's a whole world open to folks who are willing to venture beyond the strict guidelines of the giallo and check out other countries' contributions. And The House That Screamed is practically perfect in every way. That's it from me. Thank you for letting me uh, harsh on your buzz, bro. Take care. There is definitely a black-gloved killer tapping on your window with their straight razor and probably a a shotgun so watch out bye